Well, it's great to be back. For some of you, you may not realise that we were ever here. Because we've been back and forth and at, uh, at different retreats. This is the first Sunday that T's actually been at. Um, but we're in, And recently we were uh, in Sydney for about a week. Um, uh, seeing, well, there for a funeral, for my grandfather's funeral, um, which was sad, obviously, but it was really great to go back and to spend time with family. Um, thank you for your kind words and prayers. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and it, but again, it's good to be back, and this time we're back for good. I promise. We're not going to go anywhere. We're staying here. Um, which I hope, because I'm, I'm really, really sick and tired of flying. Um, we, we got back Friday night, uh, late Friday night, and, uh, and it was the third, the third time we've done that 24-hour flight to Australia in three weeks. And I just, I just thought, please, never again. I'm, I'm, I'm over flying. But hopefully our body's so confused... That it won't know it's jet lag. We'll just smooth straight back into London time. Not London. Birmingham time. English time. So sorry. I'm so sorry. It's the jet lag. But, uh, but yeah, but we're excited to be here. And I'm really excited to be able to uh, share the message with you guys this morning. Uh, Forrest is up in Manchester, preaching up there to our brothers and sisters. So be praying for him and the church there. Um, but again, very excited to be with you guys. And, uh, and we're continuing through the book of Luke. Last week you studied out this idea of, of what true greatness in the kingdom really is, compared to what the world thinks true greatness is. And today we'll be continuing on in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 62. It's a, uh, a key bit of scripture that we all should know by now, Hopefully. We probably studied it when we studied the Bible. We've probably studied it with other people. And it's something that we all know very well. But I believe as we study this, there's so much depth and so many different things that keep popping out. That's the great thing about the Word of God. It's, it's new every morning. It, man, it Every time we read it, there's something else we can get from it. Some new way to be inspired. And so the lesson, the title of our lesson today is The Greatest Calling. The greatest calling. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Starting at verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead who went went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. 
but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Silanel said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Amen. This is um, a key bit of scripture here. The time has come where, where it's time for Jesus to return to heaven. And so what does it say? Obviously he's going to his crucifixion. He's going to be tortured and he knows it. But what does he do? He resolutely sets out. And here we see this shift in in the ministry of Jesus where he's been gone from kind of generally being liked by most people. People like following him. They've seen what he's done. They've heard what he's preached. And there's a general consensus of this guy's pretty great. But here we start seeing a shift where all of a sudden it goes more to people start not liking him as much. And he starts feeling opposition. In fact, exactly what we see right here. And now Jesus was... uh, Whoops, wrong way. Jesus was in uh, Galilee, up the top there. I don't know if this has a little... Does this have a little label? It does, sweet. So Jesus is up there in Galilee and he's heading down to Jerusalem, down here. Now the direct route was obviously through Samaria. Now... The Jews and the Samaritans were not friends. They were enemies. And so no Jew in their right mind would head through Samaria. You just wouldn't do it. In fact, it was known that that Jews, when they were passing through, were sometimes either harassed or even, even hurt on their way through. Yet, what do we see Jesus do? He goes through Samaria. And, and right here... What he does is he doesn't just go, he sends his messengers ahead to prepare the way. And and you think, wow, Jesus is not afraid of what most people were afraid of. And so to take this route, for him to take this route and to send people there was crazy. But he does just that. And by doing this, Jesus was extending a hand of love and friendship to a people who were considered his enemies. And so considering what what Jesus did, when his disciples were refused that friendship, when they were rejected, they naturally got angry, as we all would. We probably wouldn't have their response, well maybe would, I don't know, but but they got really angry. They wanted to call down this fire from heaven and they really thought they were doing a good thing. How dare you reject the Messiah, they thought. But Jesus rebukes them. says there is no room for that kind of thinking in the kingdom. And I believe we too, just a side point here, I believe we too can, can feel the temptation to avoid certain people. Whether it be socioeconomic difference, religious difference, um, cultural difference, just sort of that person we don't get along and we can like to avoid people. And yet Jesus crushes that thought right here. He said there can be no there can be no hatred, no division between people. There is no room for us as followers of Jesus to look down on others. 
says, no matter what the difference is, okay, yeah, we don't, we don't sugarcoat the differences, we don't stick our head in the sand and act like there's no difference, but, but we extend a hand of love and fellowship to people in hope that they will know our God and have a relationship with Him. And even, I was doing a bit of research because Tia and I, as we've been getting to know Birmingham, we've gone through different suburbs and, and there's some very different suburbs in Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Very close to each other as well. <laughs> and we would, when we were trying to buy a car, we ended up in this one suburb and we didn't have a car at that point and we were worried we'd get mugged, to be honest. Yeah. It felt dangerous. But, and, and then I was sort of looking up some different statistics of different cultures and different religions and, and I came across 22% of the population in Birmingham is Muslim. And you can really feel that sometimes. You go into some suburbs and you feel like you're in a different country. And it's like, wow, this is very... We Generally, we, we do tend to congregate with our own people, don't we? we but anyways, but, but I think it, that can be intimidating. But we need to love all. We need to show them the love of Jesus. That, that this is the, that's the only way they'll have an eternal relationship with God. And I was just really encouraged because at BCU, uh, Peace and Tia studied the Bible with a Muslim girl before we left. And she wasn't necessarily super open to studying the Bible, but, but you could tell she was desperate for true friendship. So desperate that she, she was speaking to Peace and Tia and she wanted to, she was like, oh, we can go on a holiday together to Bath and we can, and I was like, oh, we, we just met each other. So many people in the world don't know what true friendship really is. We need to show them that. Show them the love of Jesus. And prayerfully through that, this girl will become a disciple and get saved. Jesus' message is clear. There should be no culture, no person, no religious views that should stop us from loving each other. And that's exactly what Jesus did right here. He, he went through. They rejected him. He said, no, no, don't, don't get back. Don't get revenge. Let's just keep moving on until we find people who are open. And he did that right here. They keep moving on to other villages. And this brings us to our first point, which is a high calling. A high calling. This idea that the greatest calling is a high calling. Because as, as, they're, as they're going along the road, they, they bump in to three would-be followers. And each of these encounters... There is this call to follow Jesus. Now this call to follow is, to us, it's a, quite a generic term. To us, we hear it used every day. We, we think of uh, Instagram. We think of uh, Twitter. We think of Snapchat. We think of uh, Facebook. It's a very just generic term. It doesn't require much cost, much consideration. It's, oh yeah, sure, I'll like your page. I'll follow you. That's, yeah, whatever. This idea of, oh, follow me, I know the way, and I, I know the way to this great destination, I know the way to the nearest Costa, whatever it may be. But these follow me's there, who wouldn't want to follow someone to that destination there? Like, that requires no sacrifice. But the Greek word for follow me in the New Testament was a Greek word, akalutheia. Akalutheia. And it had so much meaning. So much specific meaning. There was no confusion when this word was said. This was an intense term. And, and when I try and think of different uh, terms that maybe we use today for us to be able to understand it, 
us where a word we hear and we immediately know what that means and we immediately know the cost of that term, I think of the word enlist. The word enlist. And if you are, say, wandering through Grand Central, uh, New Street, or maybe one of the university campuses and you saw a store, and there you saw the sign and you saw the British Armed Forces, and one of them said to you, enlist. You would immediately know, in the general terms, what that would mean for your life. And you would pretty much, without a, a de- like even much thought, you would know whether you were into that or not. And probably most of us would not be into that because that's a pretty intense thing. But, but you would know immediately what that meant. That, that meant rearranging your whole life. Giving up everything to join. Being willing to travel across land and sea and maybe even willing to give your own life to protect your country. There would be no confusion when you heard that word. And the word follow me, Achilles Deo, that's that's the exact same. It was the highest calling that would come from a rabbi. It meant you were you're willing to rearrange your whole life to spend as much time with your rabbi. You would you would do whatever you could. You would desire to imitate their life so much so that some disciples back back in the day there's readings where some disciples would even walk like their rabbi would walk, which was they were generally an old man, so that generally meant with a hunched over back. And you'd have these young guys walking with a hunched over back to imitate their rabbi. That's how intense it meant to follow someone. Secondly, you would have learned your rabbi's teachings so well. Not just learned them, but in so much depth that you could teach others. And and when you need to teach something, like let's just say I was about to, at the end of the sermon, I'd pick a couple of people at random, and you'd have to come up and give a lesson on this as well. You guys would probably all pay a little more attention. <laughs> Taking more intense notes, you'd be focused. Because when we teach something, man, we, we our attention needs to be there. We need to know what we're talking about. Thirdly, what was expected was that you would then go and teach your rabbi's teachings to others. That you would want everyone to know what your rabbi taught. Church, that's our very calling as disciples. So to follow Jesus is is the most radical thing you could do. To follow Jesus is a high calling. And that brings us to our second point, an uncomfortable calling. The greatest calling is an uncomfortable calling. And and here, when he he bumps into this first guy, and and as they're walking along, this guy comes up to him and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. We hear that and we think, wow, this guy is excited. And Jesus' response is, is comical. Foxes have dens, bird of the s, bird of, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is kind of like, really? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Are you sure? This can't just be about zeal and excitement. Do you really understand what it means to follow me? I'm not just any rabbi. 
I'm a revolutionary rabbi. I, I'm homeless. I'm, I'm the son of God. I don't want to just impact my own people. I want to impact the whole world. And, and so if you follow me, don't expect to, to live a comfortable life. You see, because right here, I think Jesus rips away that the romanticism of following him, of being a Christian. He says it, it will be tough. You will have to give up things to follow me. You will be having to go wherever I, I call you to go. Jesus, Jesus sends him and he doesn't, want, he doesn't want wealth, health or comfort to get in the way. Which is why he says, that he goes, a son of man has no place to lay his head. I, the, following me will be uncomfortable. This uncomfortable calling is, is the same for us. Do we realize that? And I know as, on Friday night as we got in, I, I jumped in after the plane flight, I jumped into bed and I was just like, oh, it's just so good to have a bed. And I just thought, I never want to fly ever again. I'm so overflying. But I thought, man, what, what if life, if the call was, you know what? You, I need you to keep flying some more. I need you to travel. I need you to, to go spread the word. Would, would I be willing? Would I be willing to give up my comfortable bed? Will I be willing to give up comfort for God? We can't let comfort and selfish ambitions get in the way of Jesus' calling. What do you need to sacrifice? Is there anything you, that you think, no, I just can't give that up? Is there anything? Because that's probably exactly what Jesus is calling you to give up. Because the greatest calling is an uncomfortable calling. This brings us to our, our third point. A calling that begins, a calling that starts now. The greatest calling is a calling that starts now. And and we see this third guy, or sorry, the second guy that that Jesus bumps into, and Jesus tells him, he goes, follow me. But he replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Our call to be disciples is so high that when the second man says, I will follow you, but I've got to go bury my father, Jesus' response is just so in your face. Like this, if there's any reason not to, this would have to be possibly one of the best reasons. But I think there are a few reasons as to why Jesus does respond like this. I think breaking it down, if the man's father was really dead and probably wouldn't be here right now. He'd probably be away actually arranging funeral arrangements. So there's a good chance his father actually isn't dead. Um, Okay, maybe he's ill. Well, if he was, even if he was seriously ill, surely he would have asked for Jesus to heal his father. So I don't think he was ill either. There's probably a good chance his father was old and, and he was worried that one day my father will die. So I think that's what was stopping him. Once that happens, then I'll be free to follow you. It was a good excuse, but an excuse nevertheless. And Jesus hears this man's excuse. He addresses it. 
says, let the dead bury their own dead. And then he restates the call. He says, but you proclaim the kingdom of God. To go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Following Jesus is not... Yes, it's about prayer. Yes, it's about studying the Bible. and Of, of course, those are foundational. But that's not what it's just about. It's also about proclaiming the kingdom of God to the lost world around us. It has to be. It can't just be about keeping it to ourselves. It has to be about loving people and giving them the relationship that we so cherish. Jesus was making a point that, that in everything... There is a crucial moment. And if that moment is missed, then that thing will most likely not be done. That when we we have an urge or a desire to do something for God, if we don't act on it, then if we say tomorrow, there's a good chance we'll never do it. Jesus is challenging all of us. Don't procrastinate. Act now. And I know this is something I struggle with so much. Just that if it's a a certain conversation or even if it's just maybe something that's going to be out of my comfort zone, I just think, oh, tomorrow. Not now, maybe later. And when you think tomorrow, you're in the moment, you honestly think, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. It sort of sounds really, yeah, definitely. And you feel really excited about it. You think, I'm ready to do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and you're like, Gee, I didn't feel this way yesterday. Maybe tomorrow's the next, the best day to do it, and tomorrow never comes. Jesus is saying, act now, and 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 I think this has also sort of come about as we were at my uh, grandfather's funeral. Um, he was quite old; he was ninety-one, but but he was uh, like very healthy, and. Doctors and people at nursing homes thought, oh, he will last a long time. And so leaving, we thought, we'll definitely see him again. And, uh, and that, that was tough to, okay, there, he's old, but what a shock when, he, when I got the phone call. Nono's passed away. And, and it, it shook me. But it, it made me, as I was at the funeral, when you're in your 20s and even when you're young, you as we probably all know, you don't really think that you're ever going to die. You know it, but you don't really think about it. And that really made me think, wow, you just never know when time could be up. We need to act now, church. We need to act now. There are are so many things that get in the way of the greatest calling, of acting now. I'll follow you after I finish university, after I finish high school, I'll follow you once I've got that job. I just need to focus on getting a good job. I need to get a wife first. I need to get a husband first, a boyfriend, a girl. Once I settle down, then I can follow you. I'm, I'm sorry, it's just not the right time. Once, once I'm less busy, then I can be more involved in following you, God. However, no matter how great these excuses are, None of them are good enough. To Jesus, no excuse is good enough. There's no relationship, no task, no anything that should get in the way that should stop us from following Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's not be disciples that procrastinate, but disciples that act now. When when you have that urge to do something for God, do it now. And in fact, if you can't do it right now, tell someone so that you can say, look, hey, 
remind me if I don't do it. Because we all need that. That sort of, come on bro, you can do it. You've got this. Oh yeah, okay, you're right. Let, let's, let's act now. Let's, let's help one another. Act now. And this brings us to our final point, which is a calling that begins with fire. The greatest calling is a calling that begins with fire. The, the final guy they bump into is, they, they, they come to him and, and Jesus says to him, uh, sorry, no, Jesus say to him, he comes to Jesus and he says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Fair enough, you would think. And, and if you were listening to this as a Jew, if you were listening to this, you would have instantly made a connection to a story in the Old Testament. To the story of Elijah and Elisha. And in fact, these very same words were said in 1 Kings 19. This is starting in verse 19. It says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. They would have immediately connected to this. As a Jew, you you use the Old Testament back to front. Everyone did. So they would immediately have connected to this. And it's so interesting because the same call that Elisha gets, or that these guys get, Elisha got. But Elijah's response was very different to Jesus' response. He's like, yeah, go back. You kind of think, wow, Jesus is a bit harsh. What's going on? Because Jesus heard the exact same words, yet his response was so very different. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, what? this calling, this calling is the greatest calling. He says, no matter how great Elisha's calling was, mine is more important. That might have been fine for, for Elisha to go back, but not for when I call you. My calling is the greatest calling. There is no time for that. I'm so sorry. And think about this. This is, this is actually an unbelievable calling. To say that our calling is, is greater than Elisha's. For those of you who don't know what Elisha did, I've got a, a quick list here. He did some pretty sweet stuff. Well, first of all, his disciple, Elijah, didn't die, but he got taken away to heaven on a chariot with horses made out of fire. That's pretty sweet. That's never happened to anyone I know. That's pretty epic. Then he divided the water of the Jordan River and he crossed in between it to the other side. That's pretty sweet as well. He restores the water that surrounds the city of Jericho, which were poisoned, and he makes it safe to drink. He resurrects a young child from the dead. He transforms 
a poisonous stew, probably found in one of the, br- the brothers' households, because you generally find those things there. He transforms that into something edible to save a group of prophets. He prophesies about the outcome of wars and who would govern the land next. That's a pretty epic calling. Jesus says, it might have been okay for him to delay that. It's not okay for you to delay my calling. Our calling is so much greater. And when Elisha got the call, and he obviously went back and said goodbye to his family, but he also went back and did something pretty crazy. He had 12 pair of oxen, 24 oxen and plows. Now that was his livelihood. That's how he would have eaten, that's how he would have had his income. This was his life, his security. And he takes them all, he slaughters them to the Lord, and he gives them to those in need. Then he takes his plows and he burns them. For Elisha there was no turning back. And that's what Jesus is saying when we decide to follow him. There is no turning back. He is saying, burn your plows. There is no turning back to your old life. Elisha's calling started with lighting a fire and so should ours. To Elisha, his, his oxen and plow was so important. What's important to us? What is it that, that could easily distract us from the greatest calling? If we are not willing to light some of these fires to some of these things, to our reputation, to our comfort, to our money, to our best job in the world, to our a relationship we have, to some sin, if we're not willing to sacrifice some of these for God, then we're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. And that's a challenging statement for each and every one of us. The call was, was to look forward, to burn those things that are holding us back, to leave that old life. Are you willing? Jesus says, count the cost. Don't rush into this. But, but I think we also need to count the cost of not following Jesus, of a life without Jesus of a life of, of living in, in the world and living one foot in the world, one foot in the church. A, a life of half-hearted discipleship. That life is a life of misery, of discouragement. And none of us wants that. But praise God that we have His love and his word to keep calling us back. We have each other to keep calling each other back, to help each other as we fall down. When we need that reminding, church, what what is it for you that you need to put to the fire? You know, whether you followed Jesus for five years, one year, twenty years, there'll always be things that creep back in that we have to say, okay, that needs to be lit on fire and I need to move forward to God. Put your reputation, your ambitions and selfishness to the fire and it will be traded in for a crown of glory. We give God our ashes and he gives us 
His glory. It'll be a life of adventure. This is the greatest calling. Yes, it will not be comfortable. Yes, it will require sacrifice. Yes, there will be persecution. But at least you'll make a difference. And the difference you make in helping one person, just one, have a relationship with God, that is greater than Elisha's calling. To be able to have someone, to help someone know God and make it to heaven, nothing can compare to that joy. For those of us visiting today, I encourage you, if study this out. Study out what it means to follow Jesus. Talk to the person who brought you out. See what this calling is really about. And those of us who have begun following Jesus already, what, what has distracted us? What do we need to give up? Birmingham Church, I, I, we've only been here for a short period, but, but I'm really excited. I, even at the first midweek, there was just such excitement. And even at church, and just talking to, to the marries, to the singles, to the students, to the teens, there just seems to be a general consensus of excitement. You hear good news at midweek, and I can remember there was just so many hands going up, and it was kind of like, okay, we need to move on, but that's a great thing. That's an encouraging thing. God, we want God to work. Let's... let's Get rid of all those things that distract us, that get in the way, and focus on God. And I believe, as this is the communion, I believe that there's no better time to make that decision, to make a decision to get rid of something out of our lives, than as the time we come to the foot of the cross. We remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So as we take communion, let's reflect on this, on this sacrifice that Jesus made, what Jesus did for us, so that we could have a relationship with Him. And let's strive to get rid of anything that can get in the way of our relationship with God, because this is the greatest calling. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, thank you so much for this time, Lord, that we can come to you before, uh, before the cross, Lord, to be able to remember the sacrifice your Son made for us. We are just so indebted. We could, could never earn it. We could never do anything to, to earn it. We could never work our way to heaven. We are shipwrecked without you, God. And I just thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, the fact that you pulled us out of that, that pit of sin. That you, you chose us when, when we des- did not deserve it. When, when we hated you, you chose us, Lord. I pray that, that in response to that, we can choose to live a life for you. You gave everything for us. I pray that we can give everything for you. I pray you be with this church, that you be with us, and that we can uh, focus on you as, uh, as we go throughout this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.